Well, we're a little bit out of sync this morning. We are in Luke's Gospel again, um, but me and Chris have swapped weeks, but we haven't swapped Bible passages. So we're going to do the end of chapter 6 this week and then go back a little bit into chapter 6 next week. So hopefully we won't confuse you too much. But if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 43 through to 49. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show, them what you, they are, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep down and laid foundations on rock. When the flood came, the torrent shook the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Last one is a very well-known story. First one, perhaps not so much so. But let's pray as we unpack these this morning. Lord Jesus, we just pray that your spirit would enlighten us today. Lord, as we read your word, there is such a wealth and richness to it. And we just pray that if there's something we've not seen in the familiar today, that you would just pull it out. If there is something that we need just reinforcing in the familiar today, that you would help our hearts to be open to receive from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I learned a new skill this week. Um, Two of our upstairs bedroom windows had jammed shut. You know the locks? If you can see the locks on the windows around here, we've got those kind of locks on PVC windows. And I learned how to unlock a window without using the key. Now, just in case you're worrying that that is not a good skill for a minister to have, that is about breaking out, not about breaking in. And I thought, I need to try and work out how to repair these locks, because it's going to cost a fortune if I need to get a locksmith out. What what do you do if you need to work out how to do something these days? YouTube it. Yeah, some Google, some YouTube. Anyway, I went on YouTube, and he showed me this little video of how if you get a wallpaper scraper and slide it in behind the lock, you can then bypass the locking mechanism, lift up the lock, take the lock off, and put a new one on. Did you know that? Well, now you do. And it will save you a fortune. I changed four locks. One trip to Screwfix, £22. What a bargain. Now, I'm not the kind of person who reads instruction manuals. I don't know if you've noticed this morning, but we've got a nice new church keyboard down here. I will not read the manual that is sat around somewhere. Probably Simon's possibly digesting it at some point. Um, I like to just mess around and try and work out how the keyboard works and those kind of things. But we're all different, aren't we? We all appreciate different kinds of ways of learning. You know, one thing I love about God's Word is the variety of ways it speaks to us. So you can read the book of Romans and you get this really tight theology that Paul is grappling with. You read the Psalms, and it's all these poems of people pouring out the heart to God. And then you get Jesus telling funny little stories, these parables that he tells. And here, as we'll see this morning, these parables, they're very well known, but they have very profound meanings. 
Now, there's part of me as a preacher, and I've been preaching for about two and a half decades, and I've probably preached on, certainly this second parable, a dozen times. And you read something, and you think, oh, I've got to find something fresh to say about this parable that I've not said before. So I looked all round, I read all round, I thought, is there anything new that I can bring that hasn't been said before? You know what? I don't think there is. So you're going to get the Sunday school message, at least in the second half of the sermon. I think it's that simple. But parables of themselves are really interesting. Lots of ancient cultures used parables. The Greeks and the Romans used parables. And there would often be a story with a moral point. So they would often involve an animal behaving like a human or a human behaving like an animal. But in Jewish thinking, parables were also told. Jesus isn't the only Jewish teacher to use parables. Lots of people use them. But they would often include human beings doing things that human beings do. But they're often totally exaggerated. And they're often very funny if you get Jewish first century dry sense of humor. It's not quite like ours, but they are meant to be funny. And we'll see this in both these parables. Jesus is exaggerating to the point of stupidity. And we will see that that is how he gets his point home. Now, Jesus tells 43 parables altogether. There's a lot of them. And they're fiction. They're not true. They're not things that actually happened. But he tells a story to make a significant point. Luke chapter 6, these verses are very similar to the same accounts in Matthew chapter 7. And these parables, they're not just isolated, moralizing stories, but there is an overarching aim to them in this section of the gospel. And the overarching aim is this. What is your response? What is my response to the announcement that the reign of God, the kingdom of God, has broken out in Jesus? What is our response to it? And how then are we going to live? That's really the backdrop. Everything else is the detail. Everything else is asking those so what questions. Well, what does it mean in terms of how we speak? What does it mean in terms of what we root our life into? But if we miss the backdrop, we end up moralizing without sort of thinking about the foundational sort of stuff. Now, we are saved, aren't we? Not through the things that we do, but through Jesus Christ. We have to make that abundantly clear as we look at parables. Ephesians 2, these well-known verses, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Temptation is we stop there, but then Paul carries on. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. And so if we have been transformed by Jesus, if Jesus has come in and brought us to new life, we should have evidence. There should be an evidence trail. You know, like we talked about this before, the the aeroplane that flies across the sky, there's the vapor trail behind it, you can see it's been. That's what we should show. Because we are saved by Jesus Christ, there should be evidence. So let's look at these two slightly exaggerated stories, a tree and its fruit. We've got three fruit trees in our garden. We planted them two years ago. None of them have fruited yet. Um, I don't know how long does it take for a fruit tree to bear fruit after you've planted it. Any gardening experts? Anyone? few scratchings of the chin and that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, we, we haven't had a harvest yet. But you would think it was pretty ridiculous if I looked at these poor trees and said, well, sorry trees, but you've not produced a harvest. I'm going to go and get some plastic fruit. And I'm going to hang or stick the plastic fruit onto the trees to make it look like you're producing things. You think, well, that's ridiculous. You'd also think it was even more ridiculous if I found a big thistle growing in a flower bed and rather than deal with it, thought, actually, I'm going to make it look like it's growing strawberries. Let's make this bad plant look like it's growing good fruit. And so this is actually the point of this story. Um, A tree 
produces the kind of fruit that that tree produces, or a fruit bush produces that kind of fruit. You're not going to get figs growing off briars or brambles or whatever it is. And so what Jesus then talks about is about how our heart and our speech interact with each other. And what Jesus is saying is a good person cannot go around speaking bad things. And an evil person will always go around speaking evil things. So if you've got a good heart, if your heart's been transformed, your language will be good. And if you're evil, then you will speak evil things. That's, that's what he's getting at. So what's our speech like? I don't just mean the things that we say. What are our emails like? What's our text messaging like? What are the words that we say on social media like? Do they reveal a good heart, a heart that's transformed, or a heart that is filled with evil? Now, this is where Jesus is exaggerating. Because I look at my own heart and I say, well, hold on a minute, I'm not fully good, I'm not totally transformed, but nor am I totally evil because God's doing a work in me. So you know you've seen those t-shirts that say, be patient with me, I'm a work in progress. That's what I think I am. Anyone else? Works in progress? You know, the the Spirit is doing a work in us. We're not there yet. We will never be there this side of eternity. But let's make sure we're facing in the good direction. Let's make sure we're not heading off downhill. Our eldest was 18 yesterday. So we had a wonderful day celebrating that. And makes me feel quite old. Um, but he's now at the point where he's going to start applying for universities and for degree courses and apprenticeships and the like. And he has to write a personal statement um, over the next few weeks. Anyone written those personal statements? Looking at some people in the room who are probably nodding because you're the same sort of age bracket. Um, if you write a personal statement, you can blag for a while. Yeah? We can make ourselves sound really, really good. If any of us in the room had to write a statement of who we are, what are our strengths, what are we good at, what do we see ourselves as becoming, we can write something that looks pretty good. We might even be honest and put some things in that we need to work on. But there's a saying in, I think it's one of the C.S. Lewis Narnia books, where I can't remember which character it is, but it says, come and live with me and you'll know me. We can't blag for long, can we? You know, and the things that we say, the things that we type, the things that come out of our heart eventually start to give us away. Are we either facing Jesus and the good way, or are we facing the way of evil? I'm wearing this rather strange thing around my head at the moment. It's a microphone. And if you're online, if I didn't have this, you wouldn't hear me at all. If you're sat at the back, you can only hear me because of this. Otherwise, I'd have to bellow at you, and that probably wouldn't be good for me or for you. Um, That's what the voice is like to the heart. The voice, the way that we use words, amplifies what is going on deep inside of us. 120 times the biblical writers talk about the tongue. 120 times they talk about speech, the way that we use our words, the things that we say. Here are just four times that we see speech and conversation be talked about. First two are from the Apostle Paul, then James, then the writer of the Proverbs. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What Paul is talking about there is when you find yourself in a position to share Jesus, make sure that your speech is such that it doesn't let you down. 
that then when you come and bring in who you are as a Christian, the two match up together. Ephesians 4 verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. James 1, 26, those who consider themselves religious, it's a funny word in James, that word religious, we won't unpack it now, but religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Proverbs 16, 28. Proverbs is full of many sayings about the tongue. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Taming the tongue is no easy task. If you want to read a passage about taming the tongue, go into the book of James and read chapter 3. And it talks about um, how it's, 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 it's very difficult to stop a ship with a, with a rudder on it. And the ship is controlled by this tiny rudder. And it's like how difficult it is that we can tame many things, but taming the tongue, taming our speech, is one of the most difficult things. So how do we stop ourselves from becoming a talking hypocrite? How do we stop ourselves from being at the point where the things that we say are actually revealing that our heart has not been transformed? Well, do you know what the first thing is? We need the Holy Spirit to transform us. Don't think for a minute we can do this stuff on our own. That's why I think the work in progress sign is so, so important. We need God's help. We cannot do it on our own. But in complete tandem with that, we need in our will to want to become the kind of people who speak well, who speak godliness over people. There's no point in us saying, well, you know, I'm going to just carry on speaking rubbish and gossip and all that kind of stuff because God hasn't zapped me yet. You know, I'm waiting for God to do it for me. No, that's not how God works so often. God often says, be obedient to my word and my spirit will empower you to do it. Occasionally he zaps us and let's praise God when he does and we suddenly find we've got victory over something. But more often than not, in my experience, it's his spirit that allows us to be obedient to his word. So how do we be obedient to God's word? Well, there are some things that can help. I've used this before. I don't make any apologies really for using it again, but I always find this really helpful. It's an acronym that says before we speak, before we send an email, before we send a text, before we post something on social media, think. Do we pause before we speak sometimes? Do we pause and make sure that our words are actually going to be helpful? But this is think. And then it goes through. Truth, helpful, inspirational, necessary, and kind. So the first thing is, is it what we're saying? Is what is coming out of our heart? Is the good fruit that comes out of our heart? Is it true? You know, as Christians, we want to be people of the truth, don't we? We don't want to be people who are saying things that are not true. Whenever we tell lies, it ties us in knots. Whenever we tell lies, it causes pain. If in doubt, say nothing at all. If you're not sure that something is true, don't speak it out. Second thing, is something helpful? You know, are my words going to make somebody's day better? Now, not all words are going to be of a deep, profound nature. You know, we can tell a joke that can be really helpful because it cheers somebody up. We can tell a funny story that can be helpful because it does the same thing. We can pray for somebody and it's helpful because it ministers to their inner spirit. Whatever it is, it doesn't need to be found. It just needs to be helpful. Inspiring. Is what we're saying inspirational? Now, that does not mean we sound like a cliched life coach the whole time. But is it inspirational in the sense that the trajectory of travel, of the things that come out of our heart, are they going to lead people to Jesus or away from him? 
Is it necessary? This is really important. Really, really important. I think sometimes we can be tempted, and we all do it. Let's be honest. We all do it. We say bad things about other people. And if we just caught ourselves before we did it and say, is that necessary? Do I need to say those words? How much pain in our world could be averted? Do I need to tell somebody else this? Do I need to open my mouth? Is it going to bring life? Because often when we do say something that is unnecessary, it reveals a lot about us and very little about the person. It reveals a lot about our heart, but very little about the person we're talking about. And then finally, is it kind? Do we speak kind words over each other? I've already mentioned Tim was 18 yesterday. It's not gossip for me to tell you that. It's just truth. We went, we had a nice meal out. If you want to hear about Tim's last 18 years, come and talk to me. I'll bore you as a dad. That will probably not be the most exciting thing for you to hear. But I can tell you all kinds of stories from when he was this big to now, however big he is now. That's not gossip. It's just truth. But it's story. Stories can be wonderful things. But if I break a confidence, that's destructive. Is it kind? Is it kind? But it's not enough, you know, simply to avoid things. I think as Christians, sometimes we can go into avoidance mode very easily and sort of say, well, we must stop doing this, this, and this. But we need to transform. We need to become that person that Jesus calls us to be. Wouldn't it be great if the words that we spoke were words of encouragement, life-giving words, words of wholesome fun, words of good story, words that are kind, words that point people to Jesus? Now, yeah, there will be times when we need to do things that are difficult, have those difficult conversations. Perhaps we've upset somebody, perhaps somebody's upset us, but we do it in the way that seeks to bring about the love of God into one another's lives. The church, you know, we're a family, aren't we? That's what church is. If something is confidential and somebody prays with us, let's keep it that way. If something we hear is damaging, let's not spread it. Let's deal with it in an appropriate way. If something is loving and encouraging, let's celebrate it and let's share it with each other. So Jesus' first parable is actually about how our speech reveals the heart. And if our heart has been truly transformed by the gospel, if we are being shaped by the Spirit of God, the things that we say will start to change. We will start to be transformed. But then it's as if the next parable, actually what Jesus does is say, well, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's see where actually the heart is rooted. And so we get this story about the wise and foolish builders. Now, it's another exaggeration. You know, I'm not a builder, I'm not an architect, but I know that if I hired a builder to build a house and they built a house on sand, I would want to have words about that with them. You know, nobody builds a house on sand. So you get this exaggeration of somebody who's the most incompetent builder ever, building a house without any foundations, and then we get somebody who knows what they're doing. And we get this exaggerated contrast. So the question is, when the last day comes, when the judgment of God comes, when Jesus returns on the clouds of heaven, what have we got to share? What has our life been about? What has our life actually been rooted in? Now, we built a shed in our garden two years ago, and the miracle is it's still standing. Um, it survived two winters. The roof blew off in a storm because I hadn't fitted it well, but now I've done it better. Um, but it just sits on a concrete slab. And it won't be there forever. If you've got a shed in your garden, you'll know that every now and again you have to replace them. 
because they rot away, they, they, they just sit there of their own weight. They're, they're not rooted into anything. I've been under our house, under the foundations, and the foundations of our house I can almost stand up in. They're really, really deep. It goes right down onto the bedrock to hold the house stable. And the difference is quite amazing. Now, Israel has a climate where Jesus is speaking. It has a climate that you can build in valleys and things like that that look dry. Remember last week, we're in the Valley of the Dry Bones. You get these dry valley places. But actually, storms would come perhaps once every 10 years. And suddenly, that valley would turn into a valley with a raging river going down the middle, and it would just wash everything away. And anything that wasn't properly rooted would just be destroyed. And so Jesus starts the story. If you've got your Bible there, just have a look at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Do you ever get those verses? They're a bit of the ouch verses. You know, ouch. Do we really do what Jesus says? It's very easy this morning to stand and sing Jesus is Lord and to proclaim the Lordship of Christ. It's another thing then to read the Gospels and say, well, Jesus calls me to do that. He calls me to live this way with my money. He calls me to treat other people like this. He calls me to love my neighbor. And so actually, this question has some very, this parable has some very searching questions. And we get the builder, sorry, we get the builder of the two houses, the solid ground, the house that is built deep into the rock, which enables it to stand in the storm. Life, unfortunately, until the Lord returns, is always going to be full of storms. And they will vary in intensity, but we will always face challenges. Ephesians 6, verse 13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand. Stay rooted. What's the day of evil? Well, it could be when we get battered with temptation to sin. That would be a day of evil. Things that just are fired at us, that it's like, you know, just keeps coming and coming. But actually, we're able to stand firm. It could be that suddenly we face an absolute catastrophe in our experience, in our life. And we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to deal with it. But actually, our faith is such that we remain rooted and we are able to stand This parable is often viewed, though, as having two sort of separate meanings. It's also, how do we stand at the last day? What are we rooted on? And the rock that saves this house is Jesus. You know, it's not the man who saves himself, is it? It's not the man who builds an amazing house and has all this this dynamism in his architecture. No, what he does is he realizes that in order to be saved, you've got to drill into the rock. You've got to get your foundations right. And so the same question goes out to us, the Sunday school question. Are we rooted in Jesus? Is our life rooted deeply into Jesus? Deeply enough so that we understand who he is, so that whatever storms batter our lives, we will stand. We won't get swept away because we thought Jesus is something he isn't. We won't suddenly get swept away by temptations because actually we're rooted into Jesus. Even when the worst happens, even when the storms hit, we remain steady because we're rooted in him. And then we get the unstable build. Verse 49. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck, that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. What Jesus is talking about is it's very easy to create a life that looks okay. 
It's even very easy to pretend to have your life rooted in Jesus. But actually, if we want salvation without transformation, if you want the fancy words, if we want um, salvation without sanctification, we, we don't really have either. And everything just falls apart because we're not rooted in Jesus. We think we can earn our way to God. We think it's all just to do with show. But actually, this whole man's life falls apart. So what do we do with this very well-known parable? Well, it's a very well-known answer. Are we building our life on Jesus? That's it. That's really it. That is what Jesus is talking about. Now, perhaps today you've heard this parable. You've heard all this before, but you've yet to put your roots down. You've yet to get to the bedrock, and you're still planting your life on shaking sand. You know, if today that's you and you've not really done that, can I encourage you? you know, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Chris. Talk to Scott. Talk to one of the other leaders. We would love to talk to you about what it means to actually bury your life into the person of Jesus Christ, what it means to follow him. If you're watching online, drop me an email, drop one of us a text, whatever it is. But perhaps you've already done that. Perhaps you did that 70 years ago. Perhaps you've been following Jesus for a long time. What do these parables say to us if that's the case? Well, I think there's something wonderful here. I think there really is something wonderful with both these parables. And let's not treat them in isolation. That actually, if we are followers of Jesus, even when we're under pressure, wonderful things can happen in our hearts. We can be transformed from one degree of glory into another. We'll get deeper and deeper roots into the person of Jesus Christ. Our hearts will change. Our words, therefore, will change. Yes, life will still batter and rage around us, but we will become solid in him. So today, if you've got stories to tell, that Jesus has transformed you, that you've been forgiven, that you've accepted his call on your life. The question isn't, am I saved? That's Jesus' business, and we know we're secure in him. But the question is, how am I doing as a work in progress? What am I demonstrating? How deep are my roots going? How is my heart being transformed? How are my words demonstrating what Jesus has done? And that's where the challenge for me lies in these passages today. So here are the Sunday school type questions, at least the first one. Is our life built on Jesus? Simple question. Very profound answer we need to give. Secondly, what's the evidence? What's the evidence that we're rooted in Jesus? What's the evidence of heart transformation today? We can't transform our own hearts. That isn't something that we're able to do, but Jesus can. Jesus can. Will we seek the Holy Spirit's power, the breath of God we were talking about last week, to enable the transforming of our hearts so that we can demonstrate Jesus to a world that is getting increasingly desperately in need of hearing the good news. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes when we look at passages of Scripture, that if we've been a Christian for a long time, they are so familiar. It can be so easy to just think, well, let's give the glib answer. But Lord, as we've looked at what the answers are that you demand of us, there is nothing glib about them at all. It's about living our lives for you. It's about allowing the Spirit to transform us so that when the storms hit, whether it's the storms of this life, or whether it's what evidence there is at the end of all things, that we are yours. Lord, that we will stand. We thank you that we don't earn our way to you. We thank you that it's through grace and faith that we, 
we are yours. But Lord, today we stand here acknowledging that sometimes the evidence of our faith is, is not brilliant. That sometimes we say Jesus is Lord in one mouthful and then say something wrong in the next. And so, Lord, I want to pray for each of us in this room today. I want to pray, breath of God, that you would sweep across us. That you enable us to become people who demonstrate the transformation of our hearts to a world that needs to hear about Jesus. We ask it for his sake. Amen.